We are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Rachel. Welcome to episode 134 on Cameron Todd Willingham. Wrongful conviction? Did you question hear the, mark. the question mark there? <laughs> I did. It was a good one. It was very so we're obvious. Gonna let, we're going to let you be the judge on this one. Because mm-hmm. we're judgy. We are. And you don't know everything. I don't know I nothing. Know. I know too much, probably, because I've listened to too many podcasts. <laughs> well, I will be making About snap this. judgments. So be forgiving to you later when you have all of the information. Yeah, because I'm going to be like, this guy, what a jerk bag. And then I'm going to be like, oh, oh, no. And then mm, it's going to be a I roller coaster. I don't really know if you're going to be like, oh, no, because like this is definitely one of those very gray area cases mm. like like the world is not black and white. <laughs> and yeah. the sky's I don't know, questionable. <laughs> no, gosh. OK, well, before we get into it, we got a f- very few business uh, topics to talk about. How many downloads mm-hmm. are we at? Well, currently we're at 98,316 downloads. And guess how many we need before we do a giveaway? No. <laughs> what? I'm not going to be. I no. I'm not simple mathing right now. No, not we like need? we need we need 100,000 total. I don't do math. Okay. You said how many more do we need? I don't know. <laughs> we know Some. that it's like 1,500-ish that we need to do our giveaway mathematically speaking (laughs) so in that range (laughs) yes give or take a few hundred but we're doing a giveaway whenever we hit a hundred thousand and we're not that far off folks yeah we're not and a download constitutes as a play so you don't have to download anything you just have to play our episodes and we highly suggest going back and listening to like, I think it's 122 and 123 on the Murdoch crazy case that just keeps unfolding before our eyes. Yeah. Um, when we did that, I feel like I was blown away and then watching there's a Netflix documentary on right now. I mean, it was like number one TV mm-hmm. show there for a minute and that had things in it that I didn't know. And it was really interesting to watch the kids that are no Ugh. longer little kids anyways, um, talking about what happened. So I recommend yes. that as well. So devastating. It's so different, you know, whenever we come on here and we talk about things and then actually seeing them talk about it and like how distraught and awful it's just a terrible, mm-hmm. terrible thing. And it's all this stupid guy who mm-hmm. is too big for his bridges and now he's getting caught. Yes. Thank so, goodness. That is not a wrongful conviction. Like it's nice to see, like finally, I don't know. You just you don't get to see those kinds of things happen too often where someone is like on top of the world above the law mm-hmm. and then it like comes crashing down on them because they're a bad person and they did bad things and now they're they have to pay the price for it so mm-hmm. yeah a lot of the times people get off the hook we our next um episode 135 is going to be on oj simpson 
And that mm-hmm. is going to be um, a crazy tale also because he was, while he got caught later for theft of his own items, like that's what he got put away for, not for the murder of of his wife, which yeah. is nuts. So that's to coming next week. Yes. <laughs> I got lots of thoughts on that one. Yeah. Um. So we want you to like, share, subscribe, download those episodes. We are very close to our giveaway. And um, any episode suggestions you have, send those to us and we will gladly uh, take those into consideration and add them to the list. Mm-hmm. And the last thing really is if you um, would like to join our Patreon, we have over 120 episodes on there for your listening pleasure. Yeah. And there's a $2 tier and a $5 tier at www.patreon.com backslash we rule. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> backslash mystery history podcast, which pretty much means the same thing. Yeah, same same difference. Ooh, also, we are at the end of Girl Scout cookie season and shipping is now available. So if you want to order cookies from our daughters, send us a DM. <laughs> yeah, because I'm still good delivering these things, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, I'm just sick of it in total. But yeah. we're almost we're almost there and the scout troops they made some money, so we'll be able to put that to good use to getting our girls out there and doing fun stuff, so Yes. I yes. suppose it was worth it. And next year will be easier <laughs> now that we know sure. the ropes. Um, I'm going to, as soon as this is over, I'm putting everything out of my brain. So I hope you took notes. I don't need to take notes. It's like a steel trap over here. Oh my gosh. We're going to listen to this in a year <laughs> and be like, we were so dumb. We thought we'd remember <laughs> and we did not <laughs> Yeah, probably. Oh, oh well. okay. Well, that's all the business I had. Do you have anything to add? No. All right. Why don't you get us started on this crazy episode? Okay. So I'll read the sad part. Ha. Fine. I tried (laughs) to get this out of the way immediately because it makes me cry. So I'm going to just read it and move past it oh god i don't know i need tissues for this i don't know they don't like the well sound of i it. didn't i didn't write it sad i wrote it factual so that we can Carry get through on. it because you know we don't like things involving children or dogs but here we are oh my god is it a double whammy <laughs> no it's okay. not a double whammy oh no no dogs involved yes speaking of we should tell them about what we did on saturday because that was super fun Okay, well, let's back that up and tell them about it. Okay, so pause for a moment, then we'll get into it. But Rachel and I went to one of our good friend's birthday parties. She rented out a theater, like, spot, and showed Pumpkinhead from, like, the 80s. And mm-hmm. Rachel and I have never seen Pumpkinhead. We had no idea. Nope. I don't, I don't know if y'all ever seen Pumpkinhead, but there needs to be a disclaimer in the very beginning of yeah. The movie that says the dog is fine. Mm -hmm. The anticipation I had in my body watching these dumbass teenagers throw a ball around near a dirt road where I was sure the dog was going to get run over. Yeah. Was too much for me to take. Uh, Me too, obviously. I'm like leaning over like, oh, God. 
here comes this is this is the part and that wasn't even the first thing there was like multiple times i swear they were setting it up they did it on purpose to make you think something was going to happen to that dog oh yeah there were it was like a few times where i'm like oh no okay it's fine oh no okay it's fine yeah they definitely need a disclaimer at the beginning i don't need that in my life (laughs) and i will also say that the five minutes you get in the beginning of the movie if you have not seen Pumpkinhead and you want to and not have a spoil it for you please move along because I'm going to spoil it. The, Are you? <laughs> I mean, maybe, probably not. The beginning, it, it unfolds pretty fast. But the amount of care that you see between a father and a son within, like, literally a five-minute span of showing them together, that was, like, masterful um, cinematic work. I was oh, so invested. Yeah. I, w- I was so invested. And it's not good for the kid. And you know what? In some weird way, I was a little relieved that it wasn't the dog, which is terrible. <laughs> but <laughs> the dog is fine. Um, yeah. But the kid is not fine. And it's all about the, the a vengeance, pretty much. Yeah. What is that? What? Like, I I feel like in real life, I care I don't know how to even say this without sounding like a jerk, but like I care more about a kid's life than a dog's life. I care a lot about a dog's life, but you know, in mm-hmm. in all of the schemes of things. But then in movies, if a kid dies, I'm like, that sucks and I'll probably cry. But if a dog dies, I like I don't want to watch the movie. Yeah. Like John Wick, I was legitimately mad at my husband and like screamed at him because he had already seen it and he was trying to get me to watch it and he's like it's a really good movie and i'm like this isn't how dare you (laughs) like how dare you (laughs) i agree i i knew what was going on in john wick before i read the synopsis and i knew the whole basis of the movie was kind of centered around the catastrophe with the dog And Mm -hmm. I just fast forwarded that part. Like I can know why things are happening, but I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to look at it. I can know in my mind, but I don't want to see anything that would indicate and get those warm and fuzzy feelings. Like, oh my gosh, it's so cute. And then, oh, it's dead. Like, no, you didn't even watch that part in John Wick. No, I made well, I Mm. closed my eyes with my hands over them and I went, Oh, the whole time until I heard that it was over because I can't I cannot do it like well, I sob cried and then went into a full rage like because, embarrassingly because <laughs> those movies are really they are good they are so good but that yeah they part, are but mm. I felt very much like attacked <laughs> like you know better you've known me long enough to know <laughs> And I do not want to watch this. And I I don't think we watched it that night. Like after we made it past that part, I was so upset. I was like, no, uh, I don't want to see it. I don't care if it's good. I'm so mad at you. And then we did watch it either that night or the next night or something. But well, I feel like I don't know what that is. (laughs) I feel like John Wick is a little bit of all of us, right? Like if somebody would murder our dog, we would so want to kill him. Like everyone. And that makes me a little happy that he took care of business. Yeah. 
but it wasn't just about his dog either though it was about his wife i blocked that part out it's all about the dog and yeah good for you john wick you're like forget a love story right i don't mean it the love story it's all about the the dog dog. (laughs) (laughs) yeah but but i will say after the movie i was very depressed of pumpkin head we're talking about now yeah that movie was not a no nothing good really happened like yeah it was sad it was very depressing yeah but i feel like they need to remake that i bet it would be scary as hell if they remade it yeah i feel like they could remake it and it would be really good because so. I feel like probably back in the day, we don't have nostalgia for it like our friend because we right. didn't see it whenever it was, you know, out and, and about. it was still way better than I was expecting, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, But yeah, super depressing. If you need like to be upbeat and happy, don't watch that movie. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. That's I just that was really fun. And what we're what we're going to plan to do is if. If anybody's local, we'll give you more information. But I think Rachel and I are going to try to do that for our birthday. Mm-hmm. And we're going to hopefully be able to show Scream the first one because that's our movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that would yep. be so fun to see it on the big screen again. It would. That would be so much fun. I hope we can make that happen. <laughs> I do, too. I think that would be the best, like the best 37th birthday ever. Right? How old we're going to be? Yeah. not a fan but scream will make it more um, much better yeah yeah okay sorry for that segue i just had to talk about it on to (gasps) other depressing things i'm trying to delay it i don't want to know okay you really don't so on december 23rd 1991 in corsicana texas diane barbie was watching the price is right as you do in the afternoons Mm -hmm. when her girls went out on the back patio to play in the yard one of the girls came racing in saying mama i think sheila's house is on fire diane came out and saw cameron todd willingham at his front door screaming my babies my babies are burning and his house was on fire 911 was called and the neighbors started gathering trying to help Diane yelled at Todd to go back in into the house and another neighbor tried to enter the house. He said he got through the front door and turned left, but that was as far as he could get in because the flames were too much. By the time the firefighters had gotten there, um, they entered through the front windows because they couldn't get through the door. Uh-huh. And a firefighter came out cradling one of the children they tried to save two-year-old Amber Louise Quakendell, but she died shortly after reaching the hospital. Also in the home was one-year-old twins, Cameron Diane Willingham, or I'm sorry, Carmen Diane Willingham and Cameron Marie Willingham. But by the time the firefighters arrived, it was too late no. to save them. Yes. Oh my gosh, that is just it's a lot is devastating that's so many babies and they're they are baby babies two-year-old and two one-year-olds i I don't i mean and you never want to like assume and because i'm sure he was in shock right i mean assuming he didn't do it which he might have 
Who knows? But, but I don't know if anybody could stop me from going in, even if I knew I would be burned alive. Like, uh-huh. I would, I would do everything I could to save my kids or any kid that for that matter, not just, I mean, the fact that one of his neighbors tried to get into the house, I feel mm-hmm. like that's what you do, right? That's what yeah, you do. Yeah, you get in there, you try to to make it happen. And I think by the time the firefighters had gotten there, like flashover had happened, which is when just everything ignites. Yeah. And it was just like out of control by the time they had <sighs> gotten there to try to save save them. So, wow. Well, thanks for all of that information. You're it's welcome. Like- pumpkin head all over again um this is much worse <laughs> yeah so stacy kukendell was christmas shopping at a thrift store when the fire occurred todd willingham escaped the fire okay nope um uh-huh. nope he uh-huh. escaped the fire with minor burns on his shoulder and some singed hair he claimed that he had been woken from a nap by amber yelling daddy <sighs> Ugh. But by the time he claimed the fire had taken over too much, he uh, said he searched for his girls, but that the fire was too out of control and he could not find them and had to escape himself. Nope. Nope. Um, After the fire, Todd was seen at a local bar that was having a benefit to raise funds for the burials. He had been seen partying and behaving in a way that was not expected from a parent that had just lost his kids. Okay, this guy's a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. already that's what i'm judging yep the person that put on the benefit said at the bar that night he was showing interest in purchasing a new set of darts because he and... lost his in the fire oh my god that's what you're worried about right now dude um she ended up giving him the darts because she didn't want him to turn around and pay for those darts with funds that were supposed to be raised for his kid's funeral Wow. And he, like, this lady claimed that, or maybe it wasn't her, but somebody had claimed hearing him saying, like, he was eyeing these darts, and he was like, well, the money's rolling in now. What an mm-hmm. asshole. Excuse my French, but wow. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think I really, like, put in here, but to paint, I mean, I did later in the story, but to paint a picture, I mean, they they didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They were young it was a young family with three kids under, you know, two and under. Mm-hmm. And money was tight. It was a problem. Wow. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. An investigation was launched, obviously, with Todd Willingham as the prime suspect. The police already knew Todd because they had been to his home before because he beat on his wife. The neighbors said they heard him beating on her and hollering things like, don't get back up, bitch. And it was just an occurrence that happened. I mean, more than once, it was like a thing. Um, Diane, that neighbor that we had talked about before, said she figured that he would eventually kill her, kill Stacy. The neighbors that were present at the fire also said they did not witness him even trying to re-enter the house to save the girls. Wow. Until, until later... It was said that he had to be held back after the firefighters got there. And after it was like, clearly he was not going to be able to reenter the house. There were people there to stop him. In fact, if I remember correctly, something that I had heard said that a um, 
like a priest or something was there and had ended up getting a black eye from Todd fighting him to try to get back in the house. So he was, but it was it up. Yeah. It was like long after the window mm-hmm. that you could have gotten in there. Basically fire investigators came in and determined that they could not find any accidental reasons for the fire to have started. So they checked some things like wires. There was a whole thing with a space heater that was in the girl's room that Amber had been in trouble for playing with before. And, you know, this is 1991. Like nowadays, the space heaters, I mean, they shut off if you tap them the wrong way, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. which is fantastic because space heaters scare the shit out of me. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> Same. And we need them in our house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, at the time, you know, that's not how they worked. And, you know, there was some evidence around that. But basically... They could not find any accidental reasons. And when that happens with a fire investigation, they start looking towards the fire being set intentionally. So they determined that the fire was started intentionally. They found signs of what they thought to be fire starter on the floor um, or to show that the fire had burned on the floor and started on the floor, uh-huh. like poor patterns that they thought were put there by accelerants. Wow. And those poor patterns, quote unquote, were found in the girls' room and in other areas of the home. They found an unusual burn pattern by the front door, um, like right on the ledge of the front door, kind of. And they took some samples from that and sent them off. And those samples came back positive for being, well, they didn't come back positive for being charcoal lighter fluid, but it was like mineral oils. And that's indicative of charcoal lighter fluid. The official fire report listed 20 indicators of arson. Holy cr- So he put it by the door so nobody could get in. I think what they had ended up saying is that it seemed like he had poured in the house and then like walked himself out of the house and started oh. the fire. God. So what they were seeing at the time indicated that that could have been what happened. Wow. Wrongful conviction. I don't even care. You just wait, sister. You just it gets wait. worse. Oh, my God. OK. Well, I mean, sort of. And then it gets like different. I don't know. It's a wild ride. Strap in. Uh, OK. So police called in Todd and he came in to give a statement. His story did not line up with his injuries that he had. When he came out of the house, he was barefoot, but he had no burns on his feet. So if you were walking through the house that was on fire, you would have burns on your feet. There were burns on the hallway floor that he would have had to have traveled through to get to his girl's room to search for them like he said he did. He was pushed to confess. They showed him pictures of his children. And for the first time, he started showing remorse and started crying. Was he sad that he got caught or was he sad that he did it? Um, He was charged with capital murder and bail was set at a million dollars. So obviously, if they didn't have much money, a million dollars is like never going to happen. Right. And I think, yeah, yes. And I think it's really interesting how bail is set. Like, I want to know more about how they determine how bail is set. Like, I know there's like flight risks and like Mm-hmm. what the crime was and that has something to do with how much the bail is but i feel like bail gets set for poor people 
a lot of times in like an unattainable, no way in hell is this ever going to happen amount. Mm -hmm. And then like for rich people, they're sometimes like $20,000, which like is a ton of money, right? But not for like super rich people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So they don't have to sit in jail while they wait for their trial. They get to sit at home or wherever. That's not fair. (laughs) I think the justice system itself is not super fair to poor people anyway. Well, I think it's not. Yeah. I think that I mean even even if it would have been $20,000 who that knows I mean been he might unattainable have, probably but still right, right but still such an astronomical amount what's the point of that? Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't know. We'll have to look into that and see if there's like I don't know. What goes into that? Is it like arbitrary? Like people, the judges just get to set it at whatever or uh-huh. what? Maybe. Maybe it depends on on the crime itself also. Like I feel like capital murder for three of your children. Three babies. Yeah, that's a problem. I'm not saying his bail shouldn't have been set at a million dollars. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's interesting. It is. Mm-hmm. So he was offered a plea deal to confess and to avoid the death penalty. His appointed attorney advised he take the deal, but he refused. Well, you're dumb. Um, The case went to trial in August of 1992, and the first witness was a surprising one. Mm -hmm. The first witness was a jailhouse informant named Johnny Webb. He had been incarcerated at the same time as Willingham, and Webb told prosecutors that Todd, which is what Cameron Todd Willingham goes as, had confessed to him that he had said he spread accelerant on the floor in the children's room in the shape of a pentagram. At this time, the prosecutors showed evidence of posters that were hanging in Todd's bedroom of a fist punching through a skull and a fallen angel as evidence signifying violence and death and Satan worship. Mm, That's a little bit of a stretch, a stretch, I feel. (laughs) They showed pictures of the children to the jury and they gave evidence of Todd's past, which he had a sordid past. And we'll talk about it a little bit later. But, you know, he had previously been charged with crimes. Yeah. The jury was presented with the findings of the fire reports and they had an expert, quote unquote, witness in James Grigson. James known as Dr. Death because of his repeated testimony as an expert witness in which he recommends the death penalty, said that a man of Willingham's criminal history was an extremely severe sociopath and was incurable. The fire investigator, Vasquez, testified that there were three points of origin for the fire, which indicated that the fire was intentionally set by human hands. A sample of burned material near the doorway of the house tested positive for mineral spirits, indicating the presence of lighter fluid. Willingham had escaped the fire with bare feet and no burn marks, except for like on his shoulder. This was taken as evidence that the accelerant was poured by Willingham as he left the house. Several witnesses testified for the prosecution. So they had these expert witnesses. They had the um, fire experts that had written the arson report and these fire experts were firemen yeah from the fire station right 
um, in Corsicana or whatever county it is in. We'll say later what county. I can't remember right now. Um, But, you know, they had these witnesses that were, you know, of upstanding, considered to be experts Mm -hmm. um, coming in for the prosecution. Wow. Okay. In 2009, John Which Jackson, is way later, way later. Yeah, but this yeah, is when he was quoted as saying this. <laughs> yeah, because this was the trial started in 1992. Um, so in 2009, John Jackson, the prosecutor at the trial, stated that burns suffered by Willingham were, quote, so superficial as to suggest that the same were self-inflicted in an attempt to divert suspicion from himself. Obviously. Um, Gran, however, said fire investigators who reviewed the case told him that Willingham's first degree and second degree burns were consistent with being in a fire before the moment of flashover. And Rachel talked about this earlier. Flashover is whenever everything just ignites. Commenting on the condition of the house, Jackson added any escape or rescue route from the burning house was blocked by a refrigerator, which had been pushed against what the back door. Yeah. requiring any person attempting an escape to run through the the blaze at the front of the house. So even if the kids could have gotten out, they couldn't have got out anyway because he freaking blocked everything. What well, that's the thing. Hit. You'll you'll read in this next sentence, but well, I'll just read it. There were two refrigerators in the house. Jimmy Hensley, a police detective, and Douglas Fogg, the assistant fire chief, who both investigated the fire, told Gran that they never believed that the refrigerator was part of the arson plot. Hmm. Which I just found, like, really weird. <laughs> because when I heard that there was a refrigerator blocking the door, I'm like, what the what? hell? Yeah. What? But... They believe that it wasn't there to block the door necessarily, and it wasn't part of the arson plot. Fogg said it didn't have anything to do with the fire. So that's weird, but I guess, you know, some people's houses, they got weird stuff going on, right? I mean, I guess. I don't know. I thought that was strange. That did not sit right with me that that was back there, but I don't know. I said it didn't have anything. The people that are prosecuting him said that it didn't have anything to do with the plot. So I'm going to go ahead and give that the benefit of the doubt, I guess. (laughs) Well, I guess at this point, we have so much other evidence that uh, who who, it could or couldn't be. But that doesn't really change the fact that Mm -hmm. it happened. Yeah. And Jackson contradicted Willingham's account of what happened him being in the home trying to save the girls by claiming blood gas analysis at navarro regional hospital shortly after the fire revealed that willingham had not inhaled smoke what an idiot yeah his statement and eyewitness accounts had detailed rescue attempts so there were some witnesses that said he tried to get back in the house but timing wise that was weird And he had said that he had been in the house trying to save them. But if you're in a house that's on fire, trying to save your kids to the point where you physically have to get out of there, you breathe smoking. Like, for sure. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Um, Consistent with typical Navarro County death penalty practice, Willingham was offered the opportunity to eliminate himself as a suspect by polygraph examination, 
which Willingham rejected. <laughs> According to mm-hmm. Jackson, um, he, he didn't want to do that. Which I never understand that. If you really, obviously he's guilty. I mean, I don't know. I know that sometimes they do false positives or what, you know, whatever. It's not admissible in court either, right? I don't think so. The polygraph test, I don't think, maybe at the time they were, but I don't think they are now. And I would be hesitant to take a polygraph test too about pretty much anything if I'm like potentially going to be like prosecuted for it. But- I don't know. I feel like whenever you reject it, though, like even it just makes you look guilty. It does. But I would be nervous to take one under any circumstances. Sure. Sure. Which in turn is probably going to make me have a false positive or whatever. Um, Against the advice of his own counsel, Willingham declined a life sentence in exchange for his guilty plea. He insisted he would not admit to something he had not done, even if it meant sparing his life. During his trial, Willingham did not testify. The defense called only one witness, the Willingham's babysitter, who stated that she believed that Willingham could not have killed his children. Diane said that for other people, they may have gotten the benefit of the doubt because they showed care and respect for their family. But Todd did not get the benefit of of the doubt uh, because of the fact that he did not treat his family with care and respect. I mean, yeah. If yeah, you're he beating was guilty. the shit out of your wife. <laughs> yeah, he was guilty in public opinion before the trial. You know, he was he was not innocent until proven guilty. He was guilty until proven guilty in the court of public opinion for this. It's same for me. I mean, I don't know everything about this, but I think he's guilty too. Um, Fair. The, the trial <laughs> lasted three days, and in one hour, he was found guilty and sentenced to death. So he mm-hmm. probably should have taken the plea deal. Mm-hmm. And I remind me, I have a question about that later. About I have taking a, question. a plea deal. Go ahead. What's and maybe we'll talk about it in a little bit. But like, what's Stacy thinking about all this stuff? Like, does she what's she think? At the time of him going through trial and everything, she maintained that he was innocent. She said he would beat on me, but he would never hurt the kids. I feel like I understand that to a certain degree because you just had Mm -hmm. something so tragic happen. The thought that your husband would be able to do that would just be too much. Like, yeah, like push you straight over the edge. Yeah. Hold on, I'm typing my question for later because I can't ask it right now <laughs> because it'll like give too much away. Um, but I also will forget. <laughs> Here mm-hmm. I am, like I'll remember how to do Girl Scout stuff. Jk, I can't remember the <laughs> question that I had ten minutes later. Uh, but yeah. So, can you imagine one hour and mm-hmm. these people were able to go back and all agree that he should be sentenced to death i mean not really though because i it took me like two seconds and i'm like yeah the amount of evidence (laughs) that they provided is like insane and this goes back into you saying how poor people have it harder (laughs) because Mm -hmm. he was appointed a defense and that person did i mean you can argue they did their job 
They tried to defend him, but they didn't have any expert witnesses come in for him. They didn't, you know, they didn't do, you know, above and beyond, which in a case like this, like really have to, right? Yeah. Like he looks guilty AF. So, you know, if you're really going to defend him and you can find people to come in then do it, right? Well, I feel like this, you know, we were talking about how OJ Simpson is our next episode and not to get too much, you know, into that, but, but it's because he had Buku Bucks to hire the best defense attorney ever. And I do mm-hmm. feel like that makes a considerable difference, whether you're Absolutely. paying somebody or if they're working for free, you get what you pay for, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And while I think that public defenders try to do the best that they can, I don't think they have as much experience. I don't think that they have the the, the bandwidth because maybe they're working on 15 other cases. I mean, that's what it is. It might it, not be experience. It's probably their bandwidth. They're out mm-hmm. here trying to to do right by too much, you yeah. know? yeah. And yeah, not saying anything bad, but there's only so much you can do. <laughs> and I feel like, I don't know. And and I, I do not consider myself a rich person by any means. I think we're low, medium on the totem pole of life. But I feel like I would take out a lot of loans like to mm-hmm. get to pay somebody to be able to defend me if I, you if know, you if you can. Yeah, if, right. Like if I, you can I, get a loan. Sure. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Everybody's got different things going on. How many loans can you get when you're being convicted of murder with, I'm sure, bad credit score and no No job? job. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, not not many people are going to loan you money. That's true. And plus, like, if with all of the evidence, I'm sure that any of his friends would be like, nope, this guy. Like, it's just so overwhelming. Yeah, it is very overwhelming. I will say, though, there are documentaries that you can watch, one of them being a documentary done by PBS. And he has people, he had friends that come on there and say some good things about him. You know, like, Uh it's not like everybody hated this guy, right? But Willingham was on death row for seven years with his appeals going nowhere. You can't kill babies and no. and go to prison and not have a tough time, right? Yeah. I mean, he's lucky. Was, yeah. Yeah. There was little interest in his case. Like, nobody's fighting any fights for this guy. Mm-hmm. So he's just, you know, chilling for seven years on death row, having a not, not a good time. Then everything changed when he received a letter from a 47-year-old woman named Elizabeth Gilbert. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Oh, she was in love with him and she's a weirdo. Yeah, she probably found him on like a uh, one of those dating websites. Yeah, but that's not the case. She she had been going through some things in her life, had just gone through a, a rough breakup. And her friend had, um, when I say rough breakup, I'm sorry. She's not looking for love. Okay, she's not looking to fall in love with somebody. But she had some more free time. She's an older lady. Her friend had suggested that she could volunteer to be a pen pal for an inmate on death row because I think her friend did that. So she did. And she wrote a letter. And she got um, Todd. And he wrote her back. Wait a second. 
this is okay. So she's 47. We're going to be 37. So this is in 10 years. Now I know that I make jokes about writing to Joe exotic. Okay. But because I kind of want to hear what he has to say. However, if I ever like get this, if I ever get this board, please just take away all my pens and paper. Like, do not let me do this. I mean, I don't want to do this either. Don't let me do this either. But I do truly believe she was doing this from a place of like. Trying to find a friendship. No, I don't think she was trying to find a friendship. I think she was just trying to volunteer her time towards something she deemed positive. She's trying to put some good out in the world. So she's writing just a letter to somebody on death row who's not getting letters, who's not, you know, just sitting there spending time with nothing. He's a baby killer. You don't deserve nothing. I mean, she didn't pick him. He, I think, signed up for the program and she signed up for the program. I don't think you get to pick who you write your letters to. That's a mistake. I feel like that should be like, do you accept baby killer letters? No. Okay. This, he's not for you. Well, she wrote to him (laughs) and he wrote back and I don't know what the letters said, but they started writing back and forth and she indicated that he like wrote eloquently seemed like a nice guy and she ended up deciding to meet him face to face i know you're over here skeptical as hell but i don't think it's like that (laughs) i don't if you kill kids get away from me like you deserve nothing get out of here well yeah i i agree with that but okay well she's trying to be nice good for her but yeah he sucks She said he was polite and he told her his version of what happened at the fire. He told her that he woke up to the fire, got out, couldn't get back in to save his kids. Basically, you know, the gist. And she decided that she wanted to learn more about him. Um, He had a rough upbringing. He was born in Oklahoma and his mother had children, lots of children with different dads. And he was abandoned in california by his mother when he was i think 13 months old if i understand that correctly at that time his father had remarried and his father's new wife and his father took him in after he had been abandoned and they raised him so this what is that like stepmom i guess Mm -hmm. yep seems seems like a real nice lady right but his dad was tough he was strict todd got in trouble he struggled in school and by the sixth grade he was already doing drugs and huffing paint so he's 11 years old and he is huffing paint so what you're saying is instead of his mom abandoning him she should have set him on freaking fire remember when you asked me at the beginning if you should take it easy (laughs) should i take it easy maybe (laughs) i don't know i just i'm not a fan I can see that. And I don't disagree with you. Like everything that we have said so far, not good. This guy's the devil, like the worst of the worst. Yeah. Um, But just to talk a second about what huffing paint does to an 11 year old. It's not good. That's going to stop your like brain growth. Yeah. Right. Cognitive functions. Yeah, like, he was doing other drugs, too, but, like, huffing paint, I mean, huffing stuff is, like, the worst. Well, and it's probably lead-based. Well, I don't know. What's that got to do with anything? Lead-based paint is bad. That's all I know. It's spray paint. It's not lead-based. It's not 1904. (laughs) 
<laughs> you don't know the story. You don't know what he was huffing. It could have been lead based. Maybe I'd feel less I can bad say this. If it I can say this <laughs> most mostly confidently that it was not lead based paint. <laughs> Uh, maybe we should write this chick that wrote to him and be like, hey, was the paint he was having lead-based or what? We need to know. We need to know. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right. I'll take it a little more easy, but it's going to be really hard for me. You know what, Um, sister? You do you. I'm sorry. (laughs) Gilbert discovered that Grigson, or Dr. Death, who had testified that Todd was a sociopath that was irredeemable and incurable had never met Todd, but others that knew Todd disagreed, including judges and his probation officer that claim he did stupid crap like tampering with a vehicle or stealing bikes, but he, he wasn't a sociopath. Those, According to these people that had been in his life when he was younger and and like up through I mean he he was young. It's not like yeah. he was an old guy. But they knew him as somebody who was stupid yeah. and would like shoplift and like take bicycles, but not somebody that was like murdering, murdering children. Yeah. yeah. So the satanic posters that they used in ev- evidence that we talked about earlier which was a very far stretch were Iron Maiden and Led Zeppelin posters. So Rachel and I are both satanic as well, apparently, because we love both right? of them. I'm uh, pretty sure there are plenty of Iron Maiden memorabilia in my house. So if the house catches on fire and they try to tell everybody we're satanic. <laughs> we met the guy who drew Eddie at Horror Hound. Yeah, and he I'm looking at things that. for us. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. It's right in front of me. <laughs> So yeah, like what a stretch. Yeah, that that is say I will, that. <laughs> yes. That's not that's just trying to fit the narrative. I mean, lots mm-hmm. of people like Iron Maiden and Led Zeppelin. Um Gilbert learned that Todd and his now ex-wife, Stacy, met when they were young and had three kids under three early on in their relationship. Stacy got a job waitressing at her brother's bar and Todd stayed home to take care of the kids. They struggled, but he was said to have taken good care of the girls, but he didn't provide for the family in like a way of money or a job. This is when abuse towards Stacy started, but three months before the fire, they got married. Todd had said he wanted to do the right thing by his family. He was trying to turn his life around. He broke things off with another woman. Ugh, just keeps getting better that he was mm-hmm. seeing um, before he ins- Stacy got married so what a good so guy they had kids and he was like with a neighbor I mean she lived in the neighborhood and he broke it off with her and I don't is that know. motive or what I mean maybe he just wanted either insurance or he wanted to be free of the kids and be able to do whatever but he that's wanted the thing that's the thing Allie he had the ability to get freedom if he wanted it that lady that he was seeing was an older, more established woman that was in love with him and was willing to take care of him. You know what I mean? So if mm-hmm. he wanted to, he could have left his kids and Stacy and gone with this lady. But instead, he basically doubled down on his life decisions and said, I'm going to marry Stacy. I'm going to stick around for these kids. You know, I'm going to be better. This lady didn't happen to be 47 years old, did she? Named Elizabeth Gilbert. No. <laughs> okay. Just checking. Just checking. Elizabeth I don't know. Gilbert. 
Elizabeth Gilbert lived in a different state. I mean, she was like far away. So when she went to go meet him face to face, like she drove to go see him. Like she traveled. It wasn't like it was the the prison in town. It was like far away. Okay. Yeah. After the fire, Stacy stood by Todd and proclaimed his innocence. But after the conviction, Stacy left him and started a new life. I mean, can you blame her? Mm-mm. No. 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 You, and you do whatever what? the hell you want, Stacy. Yeah. Like, good for you, girlfriend. This guy put his hands on you. <laughs> like, and absolutely probably your not. kids. I mean, I'm probably sorry. Probably is a stretch, but I see why you would say that at this point. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. it's hard yeah gilbert so at this point elizabeth gilbert has talked to him is like researching his case is talking to people and is just trying to learn more and she's finding things that aren't adding up right like he's you know saying he's innocent and she's starting to get the vibe that he might be she talked to you know these judges and probation officers friends you know she met with stacy and she recorded the meeting she said stacy was reserved and talked about why she had decided to divorce him but she still at that time didn't believe he was capable of hurting the children she basically convinced gilbert that an injustice had been done and then gilbert started looking at the other evidence she got copies of the records and the reports from the case and found that Johnny Webb, the jailhouse informant, had a long history of felony arrests and talked to him in person. He was serving fearless. She's talking to everybody, man. And the time she's putting into this, like she don't have kids. (laughs) She hasn't like, she's just got free time to kill, you know, (laughs) I guess she's just doing a better job than his freaking public defender. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. She found he was serving 15 years and he stood by his story. But Gilbert said that she had been on the, if she had been on the jury, she would not have believed him. Like he was, he was suspicious. Yeah. He later recanted his testimony saying that what he had said was not true. Then he recanted his recant. (laughs) And nowadays he claims he doesn't remember any of it. (laughs) He doesn't remember the testimony. He doesn't remember recanting or recanting the recant. Dude doesn't know what's going on. So he is, without a doubt, unreliable AF. Because if you're in prison for that long, what else do you have to be thinking about? You probably remember everything. Something that you ate last week that was terrible. I mean, you have to be remembering everything because you've got nothing coming in. Right. I mean, right. Like what, what else is there to think about? Yeah. I mean, really? I don't know. And I didn't include this in here because I could not find like I when I tell you I listened to podcasts, I listened to multiple podcasts. I read a huge news article. You know, there's stuff out there about this. And somewhere I found that they were thinking that Webb was offered something. Oh, sure for this but i don't think they were able to prove it and Mm -hmm. i don't know so you know it's just real real questionable all around Uh, question if Mm -hmm. you recant a recant a recant do you still get the deal surely not (laughs) i mean i think probably what happened and this is totally just what i think i think he probably was like offered something but not like officially and then yeah. he didn't get shit. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yep. Like, I kind of think that's probably what happened. I don't know. Who who knows? I mean, he might or he might not. I mean, maybe he really doesn't remember anything. Who knows? Hmm. Gilbert said that, you know, she's spending all this time talking to him and he eventually confessed to her that he made up the story. She said in his mind, he couldn't acknowledge the fact that he didn't try to save his family. So he concocted the story of going in and trying to find his children. He was embarrassed. He said, what I'm guilty of is being a coward. I should have died in the house with my kids. Wow. I get that that. Break your heart a little bit. It does. He's he's not a good guy, right? Like he's not objectively, he's just not a good guy. I mean, he's a criminal and he beat his wife. And then when he's faced with this kind of moment to do the right thing, he can't. And I mean, he said that you think that you would go in to a fire to save your kid. But when you're faced with your physically putting your body into fire, you don't do it. Right. Which which is not true because some people do do it. Mm-hmm. Well, like the neighbor tried to do it and they weren't even his kids. I mean, I feel like that's like a flight or fight response. And mm-hmm. and it might be something that's hard coded in your your DNA specifically that either tells you to run or go in. And maybe he just has the latter, which I would understand being that would be devastating. Mm-hmm. To not be able to physically move your body to go know knowing what you should do and not being able to do it. Like, I don't know. I living living with yourself after that would be worse than burning in that fire, I feel and, like. And that's kind of like exactly that's why I feel so strongly, and you're completely right. Nobody would know what you would do unless you were faced with that situation. But the fact uh, of the matter for myself, not being in front of a burning house with my child inside of it is mm-hmm. that I would much rather, I, I don't think I could spend a day on this earth without my kids, without my kids, knowing no that way. I, I mm-hmm. didn't try to do anything about it. Like I would, I mm-hmm. would die. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes into, like I said, it's a gray area. Like people aren't all good, all bad. I don't like, I don't know. I mean, if that is what happened, do I think he deserved to be put to death for not going in and, and saving his kids? No. I would just judge him hard for you're a, Yeah, I'm going to judge you real bad. You're a coward. But yeah. do you get capital murder and then put to death for it? Like, no. Well, it's not even, the same thing. <laughs> well, it's even like, I don't know. The law is so crazy. Like, I am CPR certified, right? So if I am in a situation where somebody needs help and needs CPR and I don't administer it, I could be held liable for that because I received training and I'm not implementing it. The same could be said that let's say I do jump in and try to help and I bust a rib. That person could sue me for cracking a rib trying to save their life. Like Mm -hmm. the line is so that gray area 
sometimes mm-hmm. makes you afraid to step in and do something because the repercussions could be even worse, not in specifically in this, this situation. Case, yeah, sure. But it's it's screwed up that you have to really think of like instead of just jumping in and knowing that you have something to do, you're thinking about like legal implications. If I only breathed in three times and you're, you know, like it's just it's crazy. Yeah. And he was not prosecuted for being a coward and not going in and right. saving his kids. He was prosecuted for starting a fire and murdering his children on purpose. Well, So he's saying that's not what happened and that he made like his story didn't line up with everything. Like there wasn't a bunch of smoke in his lungs because he didn't try to save the kids. He didn't mm-hmm. stay in there. He got out of there because right. he well, could. Well, and could you imagine too, like, say you didn't do that and then you would have to tell your husband or wife, like, Mm-mm. that you Mm-mm. didn't Mm-mm. do that? Nope. I, I understand why he would lie because... I understand why he would lie too. I would not be able to live with myself and I'm sure he... Well, and you know, but God, his his actions afterward were so questionable. Like, people said he did not display a sadness that a person, you know, and people say that all the time. Oh, they didn't react the way they should Mm -hmm. have. But I mean, this guy really did not react the way he should have. (laughs) No, he's worried about freaking darts, man. Yeah. So I don't know if that's like a, um, like defense mechanism in your mm -hmm. brain going off to where or what, but I mean, hmm. I can see that some people like you, whenever you get hurt, you don't cry. You laugh. Yeah. It's not funny, but I do. It's not funny, but that's your coping mechanism to like. How many times have you seen that happen when I sprained my ankle? All, when yeah, my all brother was town. beating me up like yeah. when we were kids. Yeah, that's just what I do. I fall down and I old bones, big bad bruises and I just crack up. Yeah, no, it's just what happens. And that's not a typical response. So <laughs> to, you know, to, to put people in boxes and say, this is how you're supposed to act. That isn't fair either, you know, right. because, but at the same time, ask w- worrying about he, darts is not a good look. And, right. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I don't know. So then, okay. And maybe we'll talk about this in a little bit, but like, so what happened then? We'll talk about this in a little bit. Okay. Because <laughs> something happened, right? Um, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Gilbert has not been able to get an arson expert to review the state's findings when she was in a terrible car accident in which she was left paralyzed just three months before the execution. Wow. So her investigation at that point it was over. She couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In 2004, Gerald Hurst, who was a chemist with a PhD from Cambridge, said uh, to be the godfather of modern modern arson f- science. What a title to have. Title. <laughs> he was sent the arson evidence just weeks before the scheduled execution. He examined the arson evidence compiled by State Deputy Fire Marshal Manuel Vasquez. Hearst individually discredited each piece of arson evidence using publicly supported experiments backed by his recreation of the elements in question, the most notable being the Lime Street Fire, which created the unique three-point burn pattern flashover, which is the instant 
ignition of all combustible materials in an area. That is a mouthful. Um, the patterns left from flashover were interpreted as a poor pattern. So, so just to kind of break that down a little bit, the first bros are going through the house and they're seeing things on the floor that look indicative that somebody poured an accelerant on the mm -hmm. floor. But when flashover occurs, everything combusts and there are ventilation points like windows mm -hmm. that create the shape that they had found uh -huh. thinking it was poor patterns when really Hearst claims that it was flashover flash over. occurring and the ventilation points pulling that pattern on the ground. So, wow. So, yeah. That would have been helpful to know earlier, right? Yeah. Well, like I'll when I was talk bashing a little bit him. more about that. Oh, well, <laughs> well, you know, you asked and I said you might want to take it a little easy, but you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I'm still conflicted. But anyway, this Fair. left only the chemical testing for accelerants. The front porch was the only place where an accelerant was verified by laboratory laboratory tests and a photograph taken of the house before the fire showed that a charcoal grill was there. Hearst speculated that it was likely the water sprayed by firefighters had spread the lighter fluid from the melted container, which explains the stuff by the door, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. All all 20 of the indications listed by Vasquez of an accelerant being used were rebuted by Hearst, who concluded there was no evidence of arson. The same conclusion is uh, reached by other fire investigators. So he is completely opposite. Yeah. And really interestingly, um, one of the podcasts that I listened to, and I'll, I will go ahead and just make sure that I indicate what podcast that was because i don't super rem oh it it's true crime garage oh true, I crime, true garage. crime garage yeah i really enjoyed them too i had never listened to it before but i listened to their cameron todd willingham story and they did a two-parter on it and it has a lot more information than this one does um but i listened to theirs and one of the things they talked about was that fire um, what is the right word? Like research? I don't know, like arson research. Investigators. Investigation, whatever, mm -hmm. had a huge shift in the science of how they think about things right in between when the investigation occurred and when mm -hmm. he went to trial. And Prior to basically like, I don't know if it's like a report, but it's like their standards for how to do the investigation. There was like an old school and a new school way of thinking. And the standards had changed to this new school way of thinking that was backed by science, backed by experiments, backed by all this, you know, information that they had researched and collected. And this is how you investigate fires now. But it hadn't been implemented yet. And the old school way of thinking was these firemen that had been in fires and had a history would just go in <laughs> and see what they saw, think what they think, mm -hmm. say the fire is speaking to me and these are the things that I'm seeing, you know? So when they investigated the fire initially, I'm not saying these guys like purposefully made shit up or anything, 
but they weren't investigating in a scientific way. They were investigating with their feelings and things that they thought were correct. Right. And that just wasn't the case anymore. They're science-based, evidence-based ways of looking at incidents now. And that's what Hearst ended up doing. But like 10 years later, they should have done this during those seven years of appeals this man is making. Mm -hmm. They should have backtracked and gone through all that. So anyways, basically this guy is saying this was an arson. I'm seeing no indication of arson. And the, the, what he's using to determine this is photographs, video evidence of them walking through the house. Like he's seeing what these firefighters saw too, mm-hmm. because it was all very well documented. So, well, that's yeah, something we don't hear of a whole lot. So that's good to know. Documentation by like <laughs> yeah. authorities. So that's, <laughs> right. that's nice. It didn't work for him, but. Right. No, it did not. Because Hearst's report was sent to Texas Governor Rick Perry's office, as well as the Board of Pardons and Paroles, along with Willingham's plea for clemency. Neither of them responded to Willingham's appeals. Willingham maintained his innocence up until his death and spent years trying to appeal his conviction to no avail. The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals denied Willingham a writ of habeas corpus a month before his execution, and and that report got sent to Governor Perry's office with, like, hardly any time before his execution, but Governor Perry saw it, and he did Mm -hmm. not. He did not say, hold on, let me, like check this out Mm -hmm. he was like no yeah so willingham was executed by lethal injection on february 17th 2004 at the texas state penitentiary in huntsville he was 36 years old in response to allegations that he allowed the execution of an innocent man perry was quoted as saying Willingham was a monster. He was a guy who murdered his three children, who tried to beat his wife into an abortion so that he wouldn't have those kids, because that was something else that was claimed. Person after person has stood up and testified to facts of this case that, quite frankly, you all aren't covering. But Hearst said the whole case was based on the purest form of junk science, which was just what these guys were feeling. Mm -hmm. There was no item of evidence that indicated arson. A spokeswoman for Governor Perry said he had weighed the totality of the issues that led to Willingham's conviction. The spokeswoman added he was aware of a claim of reinterpretation of the arson testimony, but he did not do anything about it. I mean, he was guilty in the court of public opinion, like you said earlier, I feel like, and no matter what. But when you look at the evidence that was used to convict him, Mm -hmm. what stuck? Nothing. Right. Of all of the damning evidence that he had, all of it was questioned. All of it was questionable. Now, again, was he a good, upstanding citizen that everybody liked and thought was a great guy? Absolutely not. He was a piece of shit. I mean, really. This is such a freaking roller coaster, man. I don't know what I'm feeling. I know. Oh, I don't know. I take back a few of the things I said. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) months after willingham was executed the chicago tribune published an investigative report that raised questions about the forensic analysis so now they got the chicago tribune on board here 
The Innocence Project assembled five of the nation's leading independent arson experts to review the evidence in the case. And this prestigious group issued a 48 page report, which we've read those reports before. Um, They are very thorough, finding that none of the scientific analysis used to convict Willingham was valid. In 2006, the Innocence Project formally submitted the case to the Texas Forensic Science Commission, asking the empowered state entity to launch a full investigation. Along with the Willingham case, the Innocence Project submitted information about another arson case in Texas, where identical evidence was used to send another man to death row. In that case, Ernest Willis was exonerated and freed from prison because the forensic evidence was not valid. Holy shit. So, like, he just missed the boat by, like, two years on this. That's sad. I mean, honestly, I think if he would have had another month, that wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have been executed? Yeah, I don't think so. Because Hearst's case study, like, his evidence made it to Rick Perry's office with, I want to say, like, hours yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think it was a few days before the execution, but it was like one work, like on the last working day before well, the execution. And I mean, this, yeah, this guy has been sitting on death row for seven years. What's another week? You know what I mean? Like at that point, yeah. what's a week in the, in the grand scheme of things? If if you would then review the report and it wasn't you know something that you whatever yeah like okay then schedule them next week i i just that's crazy that Mm -hmm. is crazy yeah i i agree in 2008 the texas forensic science commission agreed to investigate the case the panel's review was interrupted several times over the two years however and it's I mean, at the time that I read this article, it was on the Innocent. This is all from the Innocence Project website. So I think the article was written a while ago, but they said they said on there, and it hasn't been updated, that it, this continues today. Wow. In 2009, an arson expert hired by the commission issued a report finding that experts who testified at Willingham's trial should have known it was wrong at the time. Days before the expert was set to testify, however, Governor Rick Perry replaced key members of the panel, delayed the investi- um, delaying the investigation for months. An investigative report in the September 7, 2009 issue of The New Yorker deconstructs every facet of the state's case against Willingham. The 16,000-word article by David Gran shows that all of the evidence used against Willingham was invalid, including the forensic analysis, the informant's testimony, other witness testimony, and additional circumstantial evidence. So even those neighbors, like there was neighbors that testified, and when they were like initially giving their witness statements, they said one thing, and that was that he was distraught, that he Mm -hmm. wanted to get back in the house, that he was upset, and then later changed their statements to saying he was not distraught. He was acting weird. He moved his car away from the house because he was afraid of it getting burned while his babies were inside on fire. You know, like, they just, I don't know. Like, so much was changed, and it's all very sketchy. Like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Oh, that's just, oh, what a bummer. I mean, really. That's mm-hmm. On October 14th, Texas Judge Charlie Baird 
held a hearing in the Willingham case to determine whether to hold a court of inquiry. And on October 15th, the Texas Forensic Science Commission discussed the case in depth at its regular meeting. On April 15, 2011, the TFSC issued its final report in the Willingham-Willis case. In July 2011, Texas Attorney General Greg Abbott issued an opinion in response to questions from the commission about jurisdiction and authority. The opinion prohibits sorry, the commission from investigating a specific item of evidence that was tested or offered into evidence prior to what September does that mean? 1st, 2005 prior okay. to September 1st. So basically what I'm understanding from this is that they want to investigate these things further, these cases further. Mm-hmm. And Texas attorney general Abbott said that they aren't allowed to investigate any specific items of evidence that were tested or offered into evidence uh, prior to September 1st, 2005. So like, yeah, all of it is occurred in the nineties. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is okay. like, what? <laughs> right. Okay. So innocence project co-director Barry Sheck responded that the reasoning of the opinion is wrong and contrary to the clear intention of the legislator when it formed the commission. Which their whole purpose was to investigate this stuff. And now they're saying they can't. can't. (laughs) Yeah. In September 2011, the TFSC met to consider an addendum to its final report on the Willingham and Willis case. The meeting adjourned without action on the draft addendum. However, um, on October, I'm sorry, just however, on October 28, 2011, the commission issued the report addendum. And that's the last of what is said on the Innocence Project. So I don't know if this is still ongoing or what what is going on, but. (sighs) Well, and and now that he's gone, I mean, what is the final? Would the state of Texas be sued for his wrongful death and then that money go to Stacy? I mean, what, what would... Well, here's the thing with Stacy too. So when he was getting executed, she never visited him while he was on death row. And she went and visited him right before his execution. And some shit went down. And I didn't include this in the notes because I could not get a clear picture on exactly what happened. But she had maintained his innocence for so long. And right before he was put to death, she said he was guilty. Mm. And... Something said something I read or saw or heard, whatever, said that she said he had admitted his guilt to her when she oh. came to visit him, which mm. is mm. quite like the whole this whole thing is so like muddy. Yeah, because that would make sense if he did it. Maybe I mean it could have been that he said it. And not really meant it, but just to give her some sort of closure, or maybe he really did do it, or I don't know, like, maybe she made it up to give herself grace, like, leaving him. And she reported this to, like, newspapers that he said it, and he was pissed. And he told her, he said that he didn't want her there at his execution. She showed up, and right before he was executed, he cussed her out. Whoa. So, like... Wow. So if you said it, you wouldn't be pissed. Like, really? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't think so. 
So like, I don't know. It's so, the whole case is weird and effed up. And all this does for me is make me go back again and maintain my thoughts on capital punishment, Mm -hmm. which is if there is any chance that this isn't what happened, even, I mean, I don't think it's enough to be judged by a jury of your peers. These peers were in his town and he was guilty in the court of public opinion. So how hard is it to find a jury in a small town in Texas that doesn't have a bias? Like that's impossible. Well, that's the first mistake here is that it was in Texas. (laughs) Well, that's where he lived. So sorry to all (laughs) But I almost, I agree with you. I think especially as fast as word spreads, even in like a town like ours, which is not small. I mean, everything. Everybody. Yeah. If something like this happened, you'd hear about it and you'd hear other people's opinions about it and you would form your own opinion Mm -hmm. and it just, you know. With and no a lot of, real evidence. Right. And and a guilty is charged. I mean, <laughs> I was I was, you know, damning him to hell from the first like two paragraphs. After those babies, like yeah, you're mm-mm. done. You were you're done. done. But but it, word, especially nowadays, like it was probably a little slower back then, but word just travels so fast. Everybody has everything at their fingertips and, and they try to shield the the jury from these reports that are coming out like i know again sorry but in the oj trial they hold them up in a hotel room with like no access to internet or anything like that to try to keep their judgment as you know clear as possible so they could just hear the evidence in this case that was too late he was tried you know um what six or seven months later no yeah no nine months later i think but yeah no absolutely not in a small town like that Mm -hmm. everybody has already talked to everybody nine months down the road everybody already has an opinion and the way that the evidence was presented and the what they did and then they were able to turn around and basically pick apart all of the prosecutor's evidence and and i mean none of it was solid you know Mm -hmm. Well, and you would think, because my thing, right, with capital punishment, because I am for it, but I do understand that people, like, with with a reasonable, you know, if you are holding the smoking gun and there is no doubt that you had done it, but but then in this case, I was for sure he did it too. But with having, sitting on the death, you know, what is it called um death row yeah death row (laughs) for seven years you would think at some point in time this would have been all shed to light way sooner than it was and nobody cared nobody cared yeah nobody cared to shed light on it and the reports that made their way to the hearst guy there was a small faction of people that gathered that and sent it to him and they had been like asking for him to look at it mm-hmm. and eventually he did but it was too late and he did that yeah. work pro bono yeah he did it in his own time and you know he did the right thing he did the best he could do to make sure 
that the information was provided to the right people after he yeah. discovered it and formed his, you know, expert opinion, his actual expert opinion, which none of the people that were put in the trial were actual experts. The guy, I'm sorry, I didn't include this either. Mr. Dr. Death, he got like disbarred. He got kicked out of the psychiatric club, whatever it is, the American medical uh -huh. people club, because repeatedly he would go into these cases and say this person is a sociopath and he wouldn't have any evidence for that he had never mm -hmm. met the people he had never you know he didn't do actual research he just came in and said these people were sociopaths you can't fix them you should kill them yeah and he got kicked out so you know i don't know this case really bothers me and it bothers me because this guy is obviously not a good guy right right but right you're not allowed to kill somebody just because they're not a good guy right even though sometimes i wish that that was the case <laughs> but okay. not in this case i i don't know i'm very torn because i was so sure of it Oh, so but sure none of it, of it was beginning. valid. Yeah, so was I. Brian had me. The reason we did this is because my husband, he sent me one of the articles that we mentioned here, either the Chicago Tribune one, maybe it took me two days to read the article. He had me start reading it one evening and then I finished it the next day. So it was a long article. But when I started reading it, I was like, why are you having me read this? Because mm -hmm. it's written the same way where you find out about the kids and then you read all the yeah. evidence against him. And I'm like, how is this going to turn around? How is this possibly going to turn around? Because this is terrible. I'm crying yeah. <laughs> like multiple times. And I'm like, what is this about? And by the time I finished it, I'm like, holy shit. Wow. <laughs> like, whoa. So I don't know. I mean, again, this, our podcast here, we kept it in a little bit over an hour, I think. Um, And there's so much other there's so much other things that are going on and more information to be found. So I highly recommend listening to other podcasts, documentaries, you know, reading these articles that were published by these reputable newspaper companies. You know, if you want to know more, definitely look into it more. But the gist of it is that this man was put to death with evidence that is crap. Wow. Well, and, and two, I highly, the innocence project that you've got listed there, we did, um, a podcast or an episode a while ago about like the Katrina, um, prisoners and how mm -hmm. they were treated. And the innocence project was all over that. And their articles are amazing, very in-depth, um, with a lot of, of information and they, they just, it's really well-written also. It's not just like, all of these mm -hmm. facts that you can't process. Um, so they really do good work. And it's just sad that in this case, they, it was too late. Yeah. Um, and they're still, and I mean, they were still working on getting him, his name cleared in this situation. But the question I was going to ask is if you take a plea deal so you can avoid the death penalty. So you say that you are guilty and you avoid the death penalty, and you're charged with life in prison, can something like the Innocence Project come and get you exonerated still? Can you be proven innocent after you've admitted guilt? So I googled it, and it says, when a case goes to trial, there is at least the possibility that a defendant has a chance to be acquitted and avoid criminal record. 
if someone has pled guilty as part of a plea agreement, the conviction will be a permanent part of his or her criminal record regardless. However, in thinking, if they if he was then acquitted, I feel like then they would take that off the record. Because there is no crime that has occurred, right? So, I mean... I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like like if he was if he took a plea deal, he got life in prison and then and that's the real bitch about it. Like if he would have taken that, he would have still been alive whenever this was happening. Right. And then yeah. probably, yes, would have been acquitted and and probably got a hefty amount of money from the state. Isn't that like I don't want him to get a bunch of money. <laughs> I, right, because he doesn't. He'll, he's going to buy lots of freaking darts. Um, he's going to have his way with the darts. Um, but no, I mean, uh, but yeah. I don't know. It, I mean, that's it, interesting. And then, how hard is that to be in a position like that to admit to murdering your children, right? To avoid death, knowing you didn't murder your children, but you didn't save them. I feel he like that was his punishment. To- he probably wanted to die if he had to, like, I would want to spend life in prison thinking about the fact that I abandoned my children in a burning house. Like, it, And you would have nothing but time to yeah. sit and think about it. Yeah. Like, the know. psychological That's... warfare of that in itself, like, I understand mm. why people try to kill themselves in prison. Like, I do. Because that mm-hmm. would just... Like if you murdered somebody and you 100% did it, even that, I would I would hope that at some point you would feel some sort of remorse, and yeah. to try to to live with that every single day, like and not have anything else to do. I don't even like being alone with my thoughts half the time, and I haven't even done anything. <laughs> right, I got to be listening to music. I got to have something background noise, or else I will just go insane. Yeah, let alone having done something so awful and then having to sit with that forever. Like, oh, in seven years. I mean, that was long enough, right? I don't yeah, know. especially with ki- with your kids. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, but then on the other side of things, too, you know, sometimes whenever you plead guilty, even the just for a plea deal, it makes it look even worse that maybe you are. So, I mean, yeah, I, you said you did it. So there right. you go. Like, right. It's how do you come back from that? I don't know. One last thing before I cite my sources from doing this research, I found that there is a movie, like a drama about this. It's called Trial by Fire and it stars Laura Dern. Is it a lifetime movie? Because I'm going to punch you right in the face. I don't think so. I don't think it is because would Laura Dern do a lifetime movie? They be getting everybody to do lifetime movies. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I don't think she totally looks like a lifetime person. Laura Dern. Yeah. From Jurassic Park. What else has she been in besides Jurassic Park, Rachel? Look, I don't know, but it's Laura Dern. I just feel like she's in Jurassic Park. She doesn't need to do Lifetime movies. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Maybe it is. How do I even tell if it's a Lifetime movie? I have absolutely no idea. TV miniseries. It's a TV miniseries? It's coming to Netflix. Oh, it's already happened. January 13th. So it was a Netflix 
movie in 2018. Is this the right thing? Maybe I'm looking at the wrong thing. No. Does it got think... Laura Dern on the front? <laughs> Let's see. Cast. You know what? No, it's not a lifetime movie because it's from the director of Legends of the Fall. So surely oh. the director of Legends of the Fall is not making lifetime movies. Here it is. Okay. So oh it's, it's got Jack O'Connell. Which do you know Jack O'Connell? That's no, who I was it... gonna talk about next. He's from Skins, the UK version, oh. and I am in love with him. <laughs> well, that and I have not seen this, so this is now on my list of things to watch. Let's see here. Yeah, it it won. Oh, he just won. Never mind. Never mind. Um, no, it was a it was released it was... at a film festival, so it was not a lifetime movie. Okay. Yeah, you get that right. <laughs> so so I'll watch it. <laughs> um, I have it pulled up on IMDb and it has the storyline, and then you know how it puts like um what is the right word like uh like keywords yeah for it it says male nudity pubic hair male pubic hair <laughs> trial based on newspaper article i would assume so i pro- think you get to see <laughs> jack o'connell's pubic Ooh-ha. hair <laughs> it's probably because he got raped a lot in prison i would assume but i don't know that's just me i mean i don't know i don't know either so but. if you watch the movie, let us know what you think about it. And what do you think of this case? Because, wow, I thought he was guilty and he deserved everything he got. I still am confused as to, okay, so he didn't do it. What the hell happened? Like, what the fire started somehow, right? They, so how I did mean, that happen? I think they think it was accidental. I've heard a couple things with that. One, that space heater we talked about before. They said that it was in the off position when investigators came in days later but anybody could have turned it into the off position at that point and something else i'm gonna tell you this because it literally makes me want to vomit and cry but the kids were in a room and there was a baby gate blocking so they couldn't get out into the room so the two-year-old could get out she could climb the baby gate but the one-year-olds could not get out Oh my and God. again, I'm sorry. That makes me seriously like gaggy to think about because it, it kills me. But, um, and who knows if the two-year-old could get out when there's a fire going, but I don't know. I mean, they don't know how the fire started at this point. How do you, I don't think they thoroughly investigated the accidental possibilities for how this started because, the guys that so did focused. the investigation, I mean, like I said, they documented stuff, but what they documented was this was arson. Check it out. You well, know what I mean? Well, what about this other guy, though? This Gerald Hurst, he, if he was the modern arson science godfather, what was, I mean, he didn't he wasn't really there. explain what he it was. disproved that it was arson because the indicators that they had said this was arson, he disproved all of them. Again, the evidence they collected, the pictures they took, the videos they took were all to show that it was arson. Mm-hmm. So he didn't get to go in the house when it happened. The, by the time he's looking at it, this is 10 years later. Right. So, you know, it could have been an accidental thing, but he has no way to prove that. that's what i want to know i wish there was a way we could know all these things like after the fact i don't know to be a fly on the wall it's just poor babies 
Yeah. And anyway, you cut it. It's a very tragic story. Those three babies died. It's so, so sad. And then this man, even if he honestly, even if he was guilty, they did not have the evidence to prove it. Right. right. So they shouldn't have been able to kill him. Yeah. Period is how I feel about it. That's like at the end of the day, even if he did it, the evidence they had given was not the evidence that they needed to kill a person right so yikes that's that's the story so since i have to suffer knowing about it now you do too thanks for that you are welcome so um just some of my sources to cite because honestly i don't remember what article i read but i don't think i really said anything out of that article that i learned that i didn't also cite somewhere in here because it was you know also in here but i did listen to true crime garage so i did say some things off of listening to them um pbs.org has a documentary called death by fire that interviews people it's worth watching pretty well done PBS does pretty good work always i freaking love pbs I love PBS. Um, <laughs> Wikipedia.com, Ranker.com. I didn't really use anything off of there, but they had an article and I brought it up and read it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, and then the innocent project, innocenceproject.org. So, wow. Well, thanks for depressing everybody. What I'm here to do. Well, let us know what you think. Hopefully, you had that, uh, you were on that roller coaster with me and I don't look like a total jerk. Um, yeah comment on instagram so we can all talk about it <laughs> yeah because this is uh this is pretty wild i mean mm-hmm. yeah he's and a at piece the end of, crap, of the day but... there's like i said there's no black and white answer here people can totally disagree with the conclusion that i came to personally mm-hmm. and what you feel so yeah let's let's have some conversations friends all right well we hope you learned something on this episode 134 on cameron todd willingham and we will see you next time. Hope you have all, have, have all, have a good week. <laughs> have a good week. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.